we've been looking at um, change over the last few weeks, and um, <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about physical change. Can we change physically? And I don't mean like, are we going to get more beautiful or our appearance like that? Obviously, we can do some change in those areas of our life, but looking over our life as human beings, we're not just a mind, not just a beautiful mind, we're not just a spirit, but we're also a body as well. Our, our physical body is something that we don't often think about when we're thinking about spirituality, when we're thinking about worship to God. We often don't think about our body when we're thinking about worship. And it's really interesting as, um, as I look through a couple of the verses this week, how important your body is in actually worshipping God. We, we, we don't sometimes know what it's like because you know how worship can be a little bit ambiguous? You know, it's like, how can you really tell if someone's worshipping God? Because I could come in here this morning and look at someone and go, wow, look at them, they're in deep worship, they're, they've got their eyes closed, their hands lifted up, obviously they're a true worshipper and someone else is just standing there like this and I, I, can, I can think, well, maybe they're not really worshipping God. But how could I really tell? How could I really know what's going on in the heart of a person? I really can't. Only God looks into the heart that way. But I can very clearly see your worship to God in the way you live your life. What are the things that I allow my body to enter into or not enter into? What are the things that um, I'm happy to do with my body that might not be exactly what God wants me to do? Maybe I, I feel like, you know, maybe it's not a sin and this is not what we're really talking about today. We're not talking about a lot of this stuff is not really a question about whether I'm saved or not. It's a question about the reality of the worship in my life. Am I walking in the good, the perfect, the acceptable will of God? What he actually really wants for my life. So, at the end of today's message, you're going to get the opportunity again. I'll have to get uh, someone to help me here. Joe, later at the end, I've got some bits of paper in my bag. I believe Matthew gave you an amazing thing to fill out last week. Mine will be daggy, don't worry about that. Just what's <laughs> in your heart, what you're putting down. And, and we're looking at these things when it comes to change. Grace, grace, vision, intent and strategy. Do you remember that? What are these words about? Because the grace part is the things that only God can do. We can't do some stuff in our life. We can't change things in our life without God. There are some things that only God can do and they're connected to this word grace. Firstly, the grace that forgives us. And especially when it comes to physical things, there are some things in your life that you'd be thinking, can God really forgive it? Yes, he can. That's the grace that forgives, the grace that comes from God that forgives us. Then we've got the grace that empowers us to live a Christian life. You see, we often think about grace as only this, oh, God's forgiven me by his grace and so I can basically keep on sinning and keep on playing that grace card. You know, oh, I've done something wrong, grace. done something else wrong, grace. We don't really think about the empowering part of grace because God wants us to change 
because he's made us a new creature. We've been given this new beginning. So that's the second grace. The first grace is the grace that forgives. Only God can do that. We can forgive each other, but only God can pardon us from the sin that we've committed against him, of not loving him, of not giving our heart and our life to him. Only he can do it. And guess what? He provided the way. It wasn't only that only he could do it, but only he could provide the way so that it could get done, and that was through Jesus who died for us. The second grace was the grace that empowers. So this is why we look at um, the verse we're going to look at in a minute, the grace that empowers, that we're not meant to be where we are before we receive Christ and staying that way. It's like, you know, I got the ticket to heaven, now everything's cool. Because it's just not. Then we've got our vision. What would your life look like if this part of your life changed? How would it be better? So, so for us to dream, if this part of my life could be changed, if you're stuck, if there's something that's holding you, something that you're addicted to, whatever it might be, what would my life look like if I could change that? How would it be better? What would be better in my life? Then we've got to look at intent. Do you actually really want to change? <laughs> I think... Uh, this has been thrown around a bit. Paul Downey said it yesterday. Apparently Matt said it last week. Change isn't change until it's a change, until it's actually done. But it starts with the intent. Have you ever done that where you're just like, oh, I need to change this? But in your heart, you're really just like, you don't care. I've done that. It's like, yeah, this really needs to change. But I really actually don't want to change it. Uh, I remember praying for someone and um, it's a one of my old stories but I love it so much and, and the guy, we were talking for a week about stuff about God because we were working together on a project and at the end basically me and my, the assistant pastor at the time from my church, he just happened to walk by and, or drop in and, and I said, do you know what, Mark, would you like to receive Jesus? Yeah, I would. Okay, so he accepted Christ, he became a Christian and then it was like, well, would you like to... Um, get off the drugs that you're on so yeah yeah i would like that because that was the biggest problem in his life he was addicted to to a substance i'd love to get off that i said we can pray for that and uh, my assistant pastor goes what about he he told us what he was on and he said are you also smoking weed oh yeah yeah but i don't want to give that up we prayed for him and immediately the addiction that he had to this other drug stopped like that moment but he kept on smoking we can have all the, the good thoughts, but unless we actually have a real heart intent to change, it's still not going to change. It's like me saying, have you ever given someone something grudgingly? It's like, uh, here, I'd like to give you this, but in your heart you're just like, <laughs> I really don't want to give it to you. The intent sometimes doesn't match up with what you actually do, physically even. And so, therefore, the change isn't even there. And this is why so many people struggle with the change that's in their life. It's like they're going through the motions. Like I said, it's not about the motions. It's about the motives. You can say, you know, I'm going to be a better husband. But in reality, you don't want to change your selfishness. But there might be a, a, a time in your life where you're just thinking, I just need to keep this right now where it is. Or I can be a better friend. Or I can be a better kid. Whatever it might be. And you act like you've changed, but inside you're still the same. So from a person who says, I really want to learn, I'm going to serve more because I think this might hold this together, but you serve and in your heart, you don't want to do it. I can change my ways and you change for one week. 
And then you're expecting the applause from the other person saying, oh, you're so wonderful. And then if you don't get it, you're just like, oh, well, I didn't even notice. I did it. The intent's wrong. Because you're not actually really interested in change. You're interested in projecting that you've changed so that things can change for your own benefit. It's a selfish motive. And real change only comes when your heart becomes broken and you realize where you are is unacceptable. I cannot keep being this selfish person. I can't be this selfish husband, this selfish wife, this selfish child, this selfish boss, whatever it might be. And you actually change what's in your heart. Because we can go through the motions without changing anything. And soon enough, the opportunity is going to arise for you to just bring out that old person you are, the person that's unchanged and unredeemed, and you're going to act exactly the same and nothing has changed. So the intent is so important. But then what's the strategy in your life? A very close person to me got put into jail, addicted to ice, and um, got to visit him and in jail. Anyway, God moved miraculously. He, he prayed a prayer of salvation. And, he, and God came into his life, but then he got released early. God did something to get him out of the situation he was in. Miraculous, seriously. So he got let out of jail. But he had to go to rehab. He went there, and after a few weeks, he started to change. But he had a choice to make at one stage, because they said, you know what, you've finished the time that you have to be here. You're not fully released from what you're in, but you're free to go. He made a choice. He says, I'm staying. The strategy for him was, I need to keep to be in this place so I can get released from this addiction. And he did. And now, like, his life has changed so much already, like, with his partner and his kids and, and his work, everything has changed. But he had a strategy. He said, I'm not going back. The intent was there. I'm not going back. But then he had a strategy in place because unless you have the strategy, you might say, you know, I'm just going to give up whatever it be, my, my alcohol. I, I know that I drink too much. I'm giving it up. But you've got no strategy. What are you going to do to actually get that to happen? It, it, there's other things as well. So, like I said, we're not talking about are you saved or unsaved because you know what? We fall into addiction sometimes, whatever it might be. And there's a reason for that. Dr. Henry Cloud says the reason that people get addicted, and he's a Christian psychologist, he said, is because they lack relationship. They're crying out for relationship, but because of they don't have it, they'll go to something else. You think about it. What, what really is the root of things like pornography? It's really relationship. But it's acted out in another way that might maybe satisfy the need for a while, but it doesn't satisfy the heart need. And it needs to change. Why do you need alcohol? Well, because I'm depressed, because my relationships are bad, so I drink. You're craving relationship, not really alcohol. Alcohol gives you a release from that. It could be even gaming far too long on the computer. Whatever it might be, you really want relationships, so you live in this virtual world where you're 
maybe you're just actually wanting power and in this world you've got power but you want relationship that's why facebook works so well we want relationship we want real community but it gets so distorted when we're not living for god so what i want you to do today is not separate the spiritual part of us from the physical part of us because they're connected they're not two different lives so i've got my church life my spiritual life and then i've got my rest of whatever life my physical life my work my sport my marriage my relationship my whatever it might be we often put these two segments and and it hasn't been helpful in christian life when we when we hear something like this in your life it needs to be god first then family then church then work then whatever it might be what we tend to do is start to separate all these things this isn't how it is it says god is in everything so it's god that's it god in family god in sport god in work god in relationships god if you want to separate him out and say yeah it's god first then this then this then this what you're saying is they're not really connected and i'm prioritizing how can you say god's first but then family's second no god is first that's it there's no second it's god or nothing it's god or me god or selfishness god is god and it has to be him only that we worship and what that allows us to do i just want to speak on that for a minute is this listen to the holy spirit it's not god first and then da 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 family church so you know if there's a you know if my family wants to do this and church wants me to do that then i obviously don't do church you know because they want to just stay home and go on a picnic so i don't do church um work down there well you know there is some prioritizing we do but this is a better way to live listen to the holy spirit because what that allows is that everything is together and there's times when god will say to you you know what you need to not work so much you need to spend some time with your family holy spirit speaks you're not prioritizing but then there's other times when he's saying you know what you need to spend a bit less time with your family because this work needs to be done and it's important but god graces it because it's in his will it's not a choice that we're making just out of a randomness thing but it's in his will you know like well now i have to spend more time with my family because i've been spending too much time at church and god is actually really saying connect with your family you can listen to the holy spirit when you don't think it's segmented it's all put together we don't live different lives we just live a life and the life is in god now if he's the lord or authority of the spiritual inside of you as a christian as a believer in jesus christ that means that he is also the lord of your physical you is that not true they're not separate the spiritual you the physical you both belong to god they're his in fact he says he bought us with a price but if we don't see any difference on the outside the physical way we act can we really say that god is working in our life we say oh yeah but i've changed on the inside remember how we talked about the trees and the fruit the fruit that comes out is only a result of the tree that it's attached to and we give him our bodies they belong to him 
this morning, um, remember in the prayer room there, someone said that, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's true. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In our bodies. It belongs to him. So we're not just here to say, you know, oh, yeah, and no, I'm just, I'm giving him my life, but I'm not giving him my ears. I'm just going to let them listen to whatever. I'm not giving him my eyes. I'm not giving him my mouth. I'm not giving him my private parts. They're mine. But when we think about it, your body and what you do with your body or to someone else's body is a reflection of the way that God has worked in your life. And we can say things like this, oh, would you die for Christ? Yeah, I think I might. I hope I don't really have to make that choice. I would do it, by the way. I know that. But isn't it great we're not put in that position, hey, living in this country? But what about this? You might want to die for him, but are you going to actually live for him? To me, that sounds a whole lot harder. Because death usually isn't my choice. But living for Jesus Christ is a definite, deliberate choice that I make. Do I live for him or not? So people say, yeah, I die for Jesus, but will you live for him? The Bible says that we're to be living sacrifices. Something that, that is a sacrifice is something that's precious to us that we lay down to get something better or for something more valuable, for something I love more. So I might love certain things in my life, but if I love Jesus more, then I am going to be willing to sacrifice whatever it is in my life because I understand that I love him more. And what I do with my physical body, the Bible talks about, is actually, is actually the primary statement of my worship to God. I have that, that verse. Oh, sorry, this is the one I meant to put up ages ago. Freedom! Let's cry freedom, eh? We don't want to be burdened again. And that's the whole point of that, that power of that second break. First part, Christ did it, then we stand firm. Here we go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Next one. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We'll go back to that first one. So this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at that. What's the acceptable worship, the true way to worship him? What's it saying? Your body. You say you're a Christian and you worship God, but if you're getting trapped in all this other stuff and you're not really saying this body belongs to you, God, you're not truly worshipping him. That's what that's saying, right? Would you get that out of that? That's what I get. What you do with your body, what you choose to do, shows what you value more or worship more. We could put it like that. If I choose to use my body in a way that I know that is not really truly acceptable to God, what am I saying? I value what I want 
more than what I know is right and good and acceptable in God's eyes. What I do with my body reveals who I worship. And then it goes on and talks about don't be conformed to this world. So this is why we have such a hard time. The world tells us something and yet the Bible tells us something else. What would the world tell you about food, looks, sexuality, money? What's the message that your ears are listening to? Once you're listening to it, what is the message that you're obeying? It starts with us working out that we need to change our mind and not let it be dictated to by the culture around us. The culture around us can be right sometimes. And it's not an accident, you know, that, that God is saying this because it's so important for us. But we have to do something about it, don't we? You know, and that's what I was saying before about the offering. You know, we, we're like, God, do something about it, but we've got to do our part. God, do something about it, and I'll just sit here watching TV until it changes. In other words, I'm going to do nothing to change anything. So you have to learn to transform your mind. Start thinking differently. There's a connection between the mind and the body, what you think and how you act. And we need to understand that, that the day you got saved and became a Christian, or maybe even the day you got baptized, some people might think, that's it, it's all over, it's all good now. Once I give my life to God, things are just going to change automatically in my life, and that's it. I used to want to do this, now I just won't. Now that does happen, and it should happen. We should expect that God transforms us so completely. But we know as Christians it doesn't always happen, right? You're like, oh, if only I'd get baptized then this maybe then i won't want to do this anymore it doesn't work like that because we are transformed as god works in our heart by the holy spirit and we are sometimes so stuck and we're like this time and we're, we're actually genuine about it we're like this time i'm gonna change but then all the old things come back you, you're in something that sparks a memory or something like that and you're like oh god why didn't you just wipe my mind clear why did i have to think that way and it's not even that you're disingenuous about wanting to follow god you just fall you slip and so that's why i'm saying it's not about right or wrong necessarily but learning to overcome And that comes from learning to discipline our bodies. What does that mean? Can we have our next verse up, please? This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, one of the problems is we think that we have to punish our bodies. All right? And we think discipline is like 
harsh and horrible and nasty. And so you, I don't know if you ever saw the movie. I can't remember what it was, The Missionary or something. And he went into South America and he was hitting himself with a whip to try and make himself obey. That's not what it's talking about. How do athletes discipline their bodies? Do they go out and cut themselves? Nope. They make a decision to move in a constant direction towards the goal that they have. I could say to you, I want to run a marathon. I don't want to run a marathon. <laughs> in fact, it's far thing from my mind. But I could make that decision. You know what? I'm going to run a marathon. So I could hit the door after we leave church and I'm like, that's it. I'm running to Darwin and then maybe a little bit more. I'm going to run this marathon. What do you think will happen? You don't know how fit I am. <laughs> I can tell you what will happen. I'll get two kilometers up the road and I'll ring Joe and say, pick me up. <laughs> I've had enough. It's hot. <laughs> but I actually can run a marathon. But it takes time for me to discipline my body. What's that mean? It means I go out now and I run a kilometer and right. After a month, I've increased that to five kilometers, whatever it might be. Disciplining your body means that you're making sure that you're moving in the right direction with what you're doing. And often, we think that it's just all about straight away, we're just going to do it. We just can't, you know what I mean? It's just impossible. But as a Christian, for you to worship God properly, it means that you're going to have to start to identify things in your life where you're saying, what I'm doing, is it actually really pleasing God? Is it acceptable to God? Is it something that I know that God would want in my life? And a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, I can quit if I want to. No, you can't because you haven't and you should want to. The things that are disrupting your life, oh, but it's not hurting anybody and it's not now. That's the problem. So many times before we change, the start isn't that bad. You know what I mean? You know, like um, I've just been in engaging in pornography a little bit. It's no big deal. Everything's still right in my relationships. It's okay. But every seed produces fruit. And you can either sow good seeds into your life, and this is what it's about. What are you sowing into your life? Or you can sow weeds into your life. Now, it's probably true. A guy could go out and, you know, look at something on the internet, and, you know, he'd probably feel a bit guilty about it if he's got any moral fibre inside of him, and go, then go back to his wife, and, and it's okay. They get away with it. Nothing too bad. But what can happen is if you move in the wrong direction, pretty soon that becomes something more and you're demanding something different of your wife, you're thinking differently about them, you're comparing them, all those sorts of things. You then think, well, this isn't enough. I need to make it a physical experience, not just a visual one. You start moving down that road. And as you keep feeding the things in your life that God doesn't want, it can wreck it. You can play computer games all night, one night, and, and it's no problem. You can go to work the next day. You feel all right and you put in a good day's work, but then you start doing it over and over and over again. Soon that starts to fade and you get sacked. You lose your money. You lose your job. Maybe you lose a relationship that you're with because you're thinking, remember how we're talking about worship, what you value more? Sacrifice is about sacrificing something that you love for something you love more. If you're real about it, 
It's about giving up the things that are actually going to decay and rot your life in the long term. It does affect your future. And you know what? It's the other thing that we need to think about. Technically, it might not be a sin. Eating's not a sin, but maybe when I take it to extremes and begin to worship food, it can be. This isn't a sin. God made it. God put man and woman together. He said, go forth and multiply and have fun while you're doing that. It's what God put in our heart. They're not sins. What about weed, smoking pot? You know, God made it. It's natural. It's It's good. And even if you go to California or something, it's not even illegal. You're not even going to get put in jail for it. So some of those things might not even be a sin, but if you want to justify it and say, you know, I want to spend money on that I don't have on something that I don't need that sends me stupid, that's a choice you make, right? And it might not even be a question of heaven or hell. But the question is that you need to ask in what you're doing with your life, is this the most beneficial choice that I can make? Is this the most beneficial choice that I can make? One that lines up with what is good and perfect and what God wants for my life. Some people go, oh, I can't believe God would do that. And this is one of the problems we face in the world today. You'll get people that probably never even opened the Bible that claim to be Christian, but they've read something on the internet or heard someone say something and never really looked it up. Well, God, God wouldn't be like that. It's okay. Times have changed, so God must think it's okay now. What you're doing sometimes is building this case against God. And you build the case this because it's sometimes difficult to give up those things that we enjoy. So we build a case to justify us keep on doing them. And we don't like to hear what God says about it. We don't like to hear God tell us this is what is best for your life. So we try to build this case. what God says is immoral is immoral and you know what like even in this world we don't have a problem with sex in this world we've got a problem with sexual immorality it's not the sex that's wrong it's the immoral use of it the things that are outside God's good perfect and best that people enter into we can't stop being sexual beings to be blunt the way God designed us But everything that God gives us is good and perfect. It's corrupted through sin, through our own selfishness and our own desire to please ourselves. The question is this, who's running the show? Is alcohol running the show in your life? Is tobacco running the show in your life? Is a computer game running your show? Is exercise running the show in your life? Are you so 
focused on it that you can't think of anything else? Or what about lack of exercise? What's running your life? Your physical part, what, who, who's running your life? Is it something that you're given to God to say, you know what, God, I belong to you? And my body is here to do what worships you. So what things are you doing in your life? What you've got to think about is this, because we're going to be filling out these forms very shortly. Is what you're doing moving you towards aligning your life with what God says is right, true, and acceptable? Or is it aimlessly interfering with what God wants in your life? Without direction, that vision for your life. What is it? Does it change? How would your life be different? Why is it you have your biggest fights after your third beer with people around you that destroys your relationships? Why is that? Why is it that you can't make your payments because you've been spending all your money gambling? Is gambling wrong? They say trust in God. But what are the choices you're making? Are they affecting your family? Are they ruining the things that God hides in high value? High? <laughs> what accent was that? <laughs> high value? Are they doing that? Because you know what? At the start of everything, you've got this seed going in. And honestly... At the start, there's nothing. It's under the ground. But if you keep watering it, keep feeding it, you're going to pretty soon see what the seeds are that you're planting in your life. Are they seeds that give life to everything that's on your continent now? Or are they other seeds? Joe, in the front of that bag there, there's popcorn, some stuff in the room, somewhere. Just little bits of paper. Oh, I haven't even cut them up. <laughs> oh, I did. Oh, well, here we go. You'll see on there, there's the two words, grace. Now, you don't have to fill this out in front of anyone because you know what? It's none, none of their business <laughs> unless you want to have help with it. Um, and the other thing is when you're going home, don't be asking your person in your car next to you, hey, what'd you write? And going, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not their Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's probably why they can't hear the Holy Spirit sometimes because you're too busy talking to them about what they're doing wrong. But we're going to look at grace, grace, vision, intent, and strategy for your life. In terms of what, what is there something that you're doing physically? And physically means not just, you know, action. It can be, like I said, well, I'm actually heading off to the casino physically every fortnight and I'm putting $300 on the pokies and, and coming home broke, that's physical as well. So what are the things you're doing physically? What are the things you're engaging in that might not be God's good, perfect and acceptable thing? It might be, well, it's anger in my life. Physically, I just get angry all the time and I smash things and, and ruin them and ruin people's lives. All right? 
You might not even want to fill it out now, but if you've got that space and you're like, you know what, as you've been speaking, Neil, I've been just highlighting something in my life that I'm like, I need forgiveness for that. God grants you forgiveness. It's a grace from him. It's something no one else can do. Only he can do. So what I want you to write down in that space is what is it that you need forgiveness for? All right? That will go to the second grace. What power do you need in your life? So let's just say it's anger. What's the power you need in your life? I need God's peace. God, I'm praying for your peace. I'm praying that, Lord God, whatever it is that's troubling me might just come up and you'll give me the grace to change. Maybe it's because you haven't forgiven someone, as Mel was talking about this morning. That's why you get angry all the time. You hate that person and you physically want to punch their face in. The vision. Just have a little think about it. What would life look like if that changed? How would your relationships be better? How would your work be better? How would your life be better? And then this is the next question. Are you actually ready to change in life? Do you really want to change it? If that is you, just write a little prayer there at the bottom of, God, I am actually here and I'm changed. My intent is to do this. And this might take a little while. What's the strategy? What do I need to do different to change? For many of us, it's actually just spend some time with God. You know, that's a strategy. You know, if you're feeling that something needs to change, sometimes it's just about being in his presence. Oh, I don't know, I don't really like to do that stuff. Um, but in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's a difference happens in your heart. And it's like, you know, you end up being like the person you spend time with the most, don't you? They say a lot of husband and wives sort of the same. Good friends that hang around together, twins especially. You become a reflection of who you spend a lot of time with. So that might be it. Maybe the strategy is this. You know what? I just can't get off this drug myself. I'm going to AA. That's a strategy. I'm going to get prayer for something maybe. Whatever it might be in your life that's not good and perfect, acceptable, that you know that God's not wanting you to do. Just write that down and and we're going to pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that you are a gracious and loving God. Lord, you promise in your word that when we ask for forgiveness that you give it to us. Not only that, you you tell us that you will give us grace in our time of need. And Lord, that grace is to empower us to live a life for you. So this morning I'm just praying that, Father, whatever's written down, whatever people are thinking about, that you just give grace over that situation. Lord, and as they look at the vision, the intent and strategy, I just pray for the strength and courage to follow that through. Lord, if they need to share it with someone to get them to help, I just pray they have the courage to do that. That you would bring into the light those things that are in the darkness so that there can be freedom, Father. In Jesus' name.